Good morning, everybody. Um, so like I said, my name is Johnny, and on occasion I get the privilege of speaking uh, here at the Vineyard. Um, and so uh, today I'm going to be preaching about uh, being a confessing community. This is part of the sermon series that Josh and Kara have been doing for a few weeks now on having an emotionally mature community. I should probably, yeah. Oh, okay. Just wanted to make sure I had the recording going. Um, so if you want to catch up on that series, if you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, I do re- actually recommend going back and listening because uh, I've, been, I've been out or upstairs doing children's ministry and catching up on it was, was pretty good backlog on the website. So um, that said, you don't need to see the prequels for this one. Um, I'm going to be preaching from the book of James in chapter 5, verse 13. So um, as you probably discovered, there are Bibles in um, some of the chairs. They have a little Bible under them. Um, You can also follow along on Bible app, and I'm going to have the scriptures up here on the slide as well. Um, So just to set the stage a little bit for the book of James, because I I do really feel like the book of James is very different um, from almost all the rest of the New Testament literature. Um, And one of the ways it's different is um, who he's writing to. Um, Well, it's not entirely different from the others, but uh, the, the people James is writing to are specifically Jewish Christians um, who are living in what's called the diaspora. That's, they've, they've been spread out all over the Roman Empire, um, and they are facing heavy persecution. Um, and I think that's one reason that sometimes when you read James, it, it can come off like very blunt and very direct. I, I think of James as being sort of a field manual for Christian living because the people who are reading this letter are like life and death are imminent concerns. Survival is a very immediate and very practical matter, both their personal survival, but also there's the survival of this Jesus movement that they're part of, right? It's right now, to them, probably looking like kind of a tenuous thing. And I I think that's a good headspace to get ourselves into when we're reading this letter. And so it's two people in a situation like that that James writes this in chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring that person back. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And that's where he ends his letter. Um, I'd invite you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, come. God, I want to bring um, the, as much as I can a, a good picture of what you offer through the practice of confession. And I pray now um, that you would use the words I'm about to say um, to that end. Amen. So you hear kind of how to the point this letter is, right? Uh, He doesn't spend a lot of time 
like dealing with abstract things. It's, it's very much like, do this, do that. You get almost like tough love vibes from it, like, like, like a mom who's dealing with a kid who's, who's got to calm down long enough to put the Band-Aid off. If you're suffering, pray. Are you happy? Sing. Sick, get anointed. Get prayed for by the elders. God will save you. You'll be forgiven your sins. And, and it's from that kind of tone of what I think of as spiritual field medicine that James says, therefore, as in because of everything I just said to you, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, hopefully uh, you've heard that here in the vineyard we actually take that praying for healing thing you know, reasonably seriously. Um, And because of that, I think it behooves us to pay attention when James tells us that your, you know, your confessing life, your moral life is intimately connected to the practice of healing. Um, And and I don't want to like paint this in too simple of brushstrokes. It's not as simple as like live your life right and confess your sins and God will give you superpowers to heal people. I think it's, it is more nuanced than that. Like I think confession actually is a part of the miracle of healing and the forgiveness of sins that we receive as Christians. And it's for that reason um, that we pr- practice confession with, with the prayer that we prayed right before communion. Um, a big part of that, you may have noted, was devoted to saying the ways that you know, we have sinned. And the idea there isn't uh, some kind of assumption that everybody who comes in here is like this holy, horrible, unworthy, depraved person. Like, that's not the point. Um, the point of that prayer is that confession actually takes like a little bit of work. Um, and it, I don't want to say it takes getting used to, but it's not something that we're naturally good at as human beings. It's not confessing our sins is not the default option for human behavior. It's, it's kind of like against the grain, maybe even a little countercultural in some ways. And so because of that, we do this, this ritual where we practice so that when it comes time to confess, you, you have some grounding, you have some idea about how to go about it. And, and given that, that I've made this claim that confession is deeply connected to healing, I want to ask a question today, which is what does a healing confession look like? And I emphasize the healing because I think just a common part of spiritual life is that if there's anything good in your spiritual life, there is going to be a counterfeit version of that thing that you're going to be prone to falling into. Probably, if, if I know the devil, there's going to be several counterfeit versions on the market uh, to replace true biblical confession. Um, one counterfeit that's out there, I think, uh, that's, that's kind of got a lot of cultural currency right now is what I call the, the fake apology right? Um, and this one I, I think is really well typified by this old uh, board game. Um, sorry, <laughs> right? Uh, you may have played this back in the day, and you know the, the premise of this game is like, it, it's like a lot of games, you roll your dice, you move your piece around the board on the outer edge, but when you hit those little like spots, like if you hit right here or where the arrow begins, and anybody's between you and the end of that thing, you're going to slide past them and knock them back a few spaces. And when you do, you're supposed to say, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to do this to you anyway, but sorry, coming through. And that's like, you know, that's fine for a board game, right? 
But I, I think part of the conceit of the board game, part of the fun of it, is like we have all actually received an apology like that. And, and it's usually in that same tone I just did, like, sorry, sorry. Or maybe like, I'm sorry, right? Like people like, like they throw their arms out like they're in wilderness, pre- you know, survival trying to scare off a predator. Like, I'm sorry, I am morally big, take your anger away. Like, I'm sorry, or, or a lot of times it'll be the, uh, I'm sorry, but, I'm sorry, but, and then you go on to list your grievances and why the other person should actually be more sorry than you are, that one, right? <laughs> like, like that's, that's a counterfeit apology. It's not real. And while it's fine in the context of a board game, it's lousy when you've actually done something that's kind of wrong. Like, when, when you've actually done something that hurts another person, that, that like, you, you had another choice, right? Not like an, I'm sorry, this is who I am, but I'm sorry and I could have done better. Like, you, you need to actually think about what's entailed in doing better. The, the polar opposite of that, that uh, counterfeit um, apology is uh, this one that I think... Um, I, I've tried this one on just as much as at least as the other one, and it's the uh, I think it's it's kind of the sackcloth and ashes Monday through Friday and twice on Sunday and Saturday like everything is my fault all the time and I'm really sorry anytime anyone was mildly inconvenienced by my behavior. If you're Midwestern, you probably have this one down pat. Um, and uh, Dr. Jenny Brown, um, who's the author of this book that Kara's been plugging through this sermon series called Growing Yourself Up. I actually can recommend the book, having read it, or at least excerpts of it. I didn't read it all yet. Um, But she writes this, I meet many people in counseling who carry an unhealthy burden of guilt and find find themselves saying sorry for everything that upsets another. This isn't the kind of apologizing I'm talking about here. Mature remorse requires examination of the facts of how we have behaved as opposed to following our own feelings of inadequacy. And I, I think like one way you see this one play out is like when people start apologizing but they never name the thing that they actually did wrong. They 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 like maybe start minoring and they're saying like, oh I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. This must have been so bad for you. And and they start like trying to tell you how you feel about what they did. And like half the time you're you're like, dude, it's fine. Like I didn't even know. <laughs> like and I don't care in the first place. Um, that one is also counterfeit confession. This, this sort of like always on, I'm always bad. Um, that's not real confession either. Okay, so we've gone over some anti-patterns. We've talked about what not to do. Um, I want to turn back to the original question of what does a healing confession actually look like? If it doesn't look like those, what does it look like? Um, First thing that I think of uh, when I think of actual authentic healing confession is that thing that Dr. Brown mentioned, like start with the facts. Start with, I did X, Y, and Z. And maybe like if you want to get into speculative territory, the most you should probably say is, I really wish that instead I had done A, B, and C, right? Um, An important piece of this is that you're giving the other person space to like have their feelings about it. This is especially true when you're confessing to someone you've hurt. Um, but even if you're, if you're like in an environment where 
you know, maybe, maybe there is no, like, victim of your crime, right? Like, maybe the only person you've hurt is yourself, but you still are in need of, of confession and repentance. Maybe you're going to a friend for prayer. Um, it's still good to start with kind of, like, as explicit a statement of you, as you can manage of what you did wrong, what you, what you felt like was falling short. And if you can't do that, that may be a good sign that you're in anti-pattern number two, right? If you can't actually name what you did wrong, that's a good sign that maybe you didn't actually do something wrong and, and you need to change course. You may be just giving voice to your own anxiety. Um, the second piece of a good confession, I think, is that you confess with contrition. Um, so this is basically avoiding anti-pattern number one. Instead of saying... Um, you know, I'm sorry, as though there is nothing I am going to do about this and I am not going to change. I, like, if you start with the facts and never, and don't have a, instead, I wish that I had done something else. Even if you don't know what something else is, that's okay. It, it is okay to come to confession not sure how to do better, but there should be some hope, some, some idea that, like, but I, I want to do better, Right? And the third and final piece I think that's really important to, for confession to be healing, for a confession to be more than just like you blurting your shortcomings at somebody, um, is to choose your time and place. And this is something that I think a lot of times as Christians, we forget that it's okay to like wait on things. Like because, because it can feel like there's so much, I don't know, I want to say moral or spiritual pressure to like get right with God today, sometimes we try to make a shortcut and, and get to somewhere, get to a place of healing, get to a place of forgiveness before it's really time. Um, and, and I think it's, it's fair to point out that like this is consistent with biblical teaching. We even see in the grand narratives of Scripture, God choosing his timing and his place to bring healing. And so I, I feel like if we're trying to be godly, if we're trying to act as Jesus would on earth, it's okay to say, you know, right now we're driving to work, <laughs> and if I am going to unload on my carpool mates about something I did, um, that, that's probably going to ruin their day. Like, they're probably not in a place to receive that. Um, I'm going to wait, right? I'm going to wait for an appropriate time and place. So that's, that's a, a really rough field manual guide to giving and giving a good confession but you know in James he actually says to confess your sins to one another and so there's actually two sides to this coin not only does the confessor person have to get there and right but the person receiving the confession has some responsibilities too and it's even more complex because I think there's actually two modes for how to receive someone's confession the first one is if you are actually the offended party Right? So if someone is confessing to you when they've done something wrong to you, your script is very different from if someone is confessing as like a fellow believer who, who is carrying some burden, they, they want to seek God's forgiveness, they want to change, very different set of circumstances, right? And so my, I really only have one piece of advice. If you are the offended party and someone is coming to you with a confession, boop, boop, boop. Don't rush forgiveness. And that is, 
Everything else I've said so far is probably a little countercultural to like the broader American culture that we swim in. This one I think is actually countercultural to the Christian subculture that we live in. Um, because forgiveness is central to the Christian faith, right? I mean, like, like Jesus very clearly teaches about if, if you don't forgive other people, God will not forgive you. Like, it, forgiveness is a central part of our faith, and learning to forgive as God forgives is part of the path to holiness. However, um, just like a confession that is, is kind of given too fast and is, is trying to make an end run around the process, um, can hurt somebody and, and can be damaging. I think the same thing is true of forgiveness that kind of comes before it's time, right? So what do I mean by don't rush forgiveness? I don't necessarily mean to like hold out, nurse a grudge for as long as you want, but I do mean give yourself permission to feel anger. Um, there's a, there's a, a verse in the teachings of Jesus where he says, be angry and do not sin. Some translations will say, um, in your anger, do not sin. I like be angry and do not sin because I think it's, it, it gives you a little more permission. It's like being angry is part of the commandment. Be angry. You're going to be angry. And in that, do not sin, right? And so I think for forgiveness to really work, for you to really accept somebody's confession to you, they are acknowledging, if they're doing it right, that they did something wrong and that that was bad. And the appropriate response to something bad being done is to feel angry or maybe sad, right? Like, I mean, how, how your emotions, like your visceral emotions come out in the moment is going to be messy. And I think it's important to just like care for yourself in that and accept that and let that be part of receiving someone's confession. The other thing I want to uh, say as far as like how to not rush forgiveness is there is something you can do in the moment, even if you can't quite bring yourself to a place of like uh, what we might think of as like total restoration, right? Like, I mean, total, total restoration of the relationship, like I hear your confession, our relationship is now, and I forgive you, and our relationship now is the same as it was before the offense. That's really easy for like, petty things, like when my kid tells me, hey, I lied to you, I didn't really brush my teeth. Like, I can let go of that one pretty quickly. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, maybe on the millionth time I start to get a little, like, more lastingly angry. But, um, <laughs> but I, that's easier to let go of. Um, what you can do in the moment, what I think is a fair ask, is, as far as, like, having a duty to repair the relationship, is if this is a big offense and you're going to be angry and, and your, your relationship is not going to be the same, right? That's okay. You're allowed to set boundaries. What you can do is if somebody is acknowledging that they did wrong, is you can say, how can I put this? You can say, I think that's a step in the right direction. You could say, thank you, right? Or I hear that and you're right. <laughs> give them some sense that, like, by coming to you with confession, they have taken the first step. By the way, if you're the confessing party, this is not your line. You, you don't get to quote Jesus, James, and Johnny at them and say, hey, I'm, Johnny said on Sunday, I'm confessing. You need to throw me a bone. Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't get to do that. Like, your line, I have nothing for you, right? 
Your line is nothing more than let me know when that changes. Putting yourself in a position of vulnerability and readiness to make the relationship right. That, that's really all you have to do as the confessor. As the person receiving the confession, as soon as you can, maybe you need to take a few minutes to calm down, maybe you need to take a few days to calm down, um, at least like find a way to say, hey, maybe, we, maybe I can't trust you, right? And so like, I can't trust you anymore because of what you did. So our relationship has to change. But I do think that by saying what you did, you're on the right path. And I want to see you continue down that. I want to see you be that person who takes responsibility and who does the right thing. I don't want to see you, you know, continue to be the person who hurt me. So um, if you're just a friend, right, if, if you're just the person who is hearing the confession and, and like, this isn't something that's, that's wronged you personally, um, very different script, right? Um, because in, in that case, it's less like if we're going to use the law court metaphor, um, you're, not, you're not the judge, you're not the plaintiff, you're not even their lawyer, right? Like, like the Holy Spirit is, is sort of their lawyer, right? God is the one who's going to advocate for them. You're kind of like uh, assistant paralegal almost, right? Like your, your job is actually a little, a little more distant, um, and you're kind of there to serve the process that's going on between them and God. And so the first thing you can do, the most important thing to facilitate this is just prepare yourself to receive confessions. Um, and, and that's one thing, I mean, I think that we actually do that in, in the service, not just when we pray for confession, that's preparing ourselves to confess, but it's also useful preparation for hearing someone's confession because it puts you on kind of a level playing field with them, right? It puts you in a place where you can say, hey, like, I know what it is to confess. I have needed to confess. And I can maybe kind of coach you through that, right? Especially uh, if the person maybe is fall, falling into one of the anti-patterns I mentioned before. If they're, if they're confessing in a way that's, that you see as destructive, you can, like, you can kind of like shepherd them out and pull them out a little bit of that if you're preparing by being a confessing person yourself. Second thing, um, and this can be a hard temptation to resist, don't make excuses for them and this one is I, I feel like it's really hard at two ends of the spectrum it's really hard if you know the person really well and you really like them and you want to believe the best about them and the fact that they have a dark side is scary to you and it can also be really hard like for like people who are just on the edge of your social circle who are like friendly acquaintances who are you're like whoa this is like way heavier then I was prepared, and I would, I would really rather believe that you're just a nice man, or you're just a nice guy uh, or gal, and I don't have to think about this confession that you're, you're putting before me. And excuse, if you find ways to make excuses, if you're, if you're starting to be like, well, but in that situation, I can kind of understand. Like, that, that can kind of take the gas out of it a little bit, right? Especially if they're coming to you with like a, and I want to change. Um, it's actually probably best to let them have their remorse. That's actually the kindest thing. Flip side of that, of course, is don't condemn them, right? Like you're, um, a lot of the book of James is actually centered around emphasizing, hey, you guys, me, we are not to be the judges of other people in any way. God is the judge. 
And so if you're grounded in that, that can kind of stop you from, from, you know, like at the same time, don't make excuses to make them comfortable or to make yourself comfortable, but also don't offer condemnation. Don't tell them like, goodness sakes, son, you could go to hell for that. Like, that's a bad response. Um, what you can do, I think the, the most important thing you can do is emphasize their agency, right? Emphasize that, that by confessing, they've begun a process that can actually allow them to change, that can actually allow them to, if this is a pattern, if this is a repeat thing, break out of it. If this is a new thing and their self-concept is sort of devastated, you can tell them, like, hey, there's, there's a road out of the crater. <laughs> like, like, you can walk away from this and be changed. So you can ask questions, like, so what, what do you wish you had done differently? What do you want to do differently in the future? How do you want to respond to this and make amends? And as their friend, you can ask to pray about that. Um, it's like certainly that you have to, like I said, you have to let them have their remorse. You can pray through that, and that's fine. That's a motivating emotion to change. But the motivation has to go somewhere. And so giving them the insight the greatest gift you can give to someone who's confessing might be the insight that actually it's in their power to change. That might be the best thing you could do for them. And so for everyone, confessor and receiver, regardless of your role, it is always healthy to keep in mind that God is the judge, right? Um, And and I think in that comes a certain freedom. Um, Because when, when you're living in that reality that like, hey, Every, everybody has sinned. You, me, and the Pope, everybody has sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And God is just, and God is merciful, and God will handle a lot of the like, complexity and messiness that comes around righting wrongdoing. That takes a lot of the pressure off you to be that in the situation. And I think that's remarkably freeing. It, it, for one, it can, as the person confessing, it can give you the freedom to say like the truth about what you did wrong and let go of the very natural fear that your reputation is going to take a hit and let go of the fear that you know, your relationships are going to take a hit because it, that becomes of secondary importance to what God thinks of you. And as the person receiving the confession, it can free you from the need to like take total responsibility for putting them on the right path. I think as much as there's truth in what James says at the end of his letter about you know if, if you can guide someone back to the right path, you may save their life. You may, you may cover a multitude of sins. I 100% believe that's true. And part of the truth of that is you, you only get to there if you don't put yourself in God's seat. So the band is going to come up, um, they're going to play a last song, and we're going to have prayer ministry time. Um, during this time, you know, we always practice like anybody who wants prayer for any reason um, can actually come up to the front and just stand. Like you can stand off to the side, you don't have to like kneel at the altar or anything like that. You can, I mean, as, as the Spirit moves you. Um, but someone from our prayer team will come up during that time, they'll place their hand on your shoulder and ask how they can pray for you. So... Um, I just want to invite people to, um, if you have something to confess, today's a good day. Uh, When I talked about choosing your time and place, this is a really good time and place to choose. A lot of what we do on Sunday morning, a lot of the the rituals and rhythms that we go through are actually about creating a clean space 
where this kind of work can happen and it can be safe. Um, so, the, you know, definitely if you have something to confess, come forward, get prayer. If you don't have something to confess, if you're in need of healing, like James said in this letter, if, if you're sick and you're in need of healing, by all means, come forward and ask for prayer. Um, so whatever God's calling you today is, I just invite you to come and receive. And with that, would you stand?